Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. Since our conception, Mosaic has been a community that has been about dreams. We have been a creative and innovative community. It's been part of our DNA to dream about what God has for us. Dreaming uh, of a new way of being the church help spurred on our existence. And when we can make faith-centered decisions on dreaming big for God's dreams, then the possibilities are endless. We were formed out of a dream. And if we fail to dream, then we do not allow ourselves to hope for a reality that's greater than the, than the existence that we are living each day. And so dreaming provides us an opportunity to think creatively and innovatively and spiritually. It gives us space to see something bigger and broader and beyond our expectations. In December of 2016, Mosaic's vision team began to dream about what is, what is God's dream for our community. And we got nearly six months into this process and some key dreams started to come out of this. And realizing that not only were these key dreams for Mosaic, but we realized that there were so many other people within Mosaic who also have dreams that God has given them for this community. And so we expanded this dreaming to all of Mosaic. And what came out of this was five key dreams in this process. And over the next five weeks, we are going to examine the dreams that came through this um, uh, creative process we went through. And our goal is not just dig deeper into understanding each of these key dreams, but to ask ourselves some very difficult questions about them. Because we can be a community who simply dreams and stays comfortable dreaming, or we can become a community that steps out in a great expedition of faith to live out the dreams that God has called us to. So to engage our first dream, take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 12. Now, context matters. So what's going on in the context of the Gospel of Luke at this time? Well, Jesus has just entered in his public ministry only to go out into the wilderness for 40 days. And he comes back and he has this massive welcome home party that ends with his hometown of Nazareth literally trying to kill him. They tried to push him off a hill. And then Jesus goes about doing the ministry of healing the sick, proclaiming good news to the poor, giving sight to the blind, releasing the oppressed. And it carries over into Luke chapter 5 verse 12. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus is going from town to town. He's doing this type of ministry, proclaiming the good news. He's showing the good news through healing disease and sickness. And he comes across a man with leprosy. Now, leprosy is a, a disease that produces uh, scales and inflammation and lesions. It, it is it's horribly debilitating. It's a painful skin condition. Of course, it has great discomfort that comes with it. And a person um, couldn't bathe because they have, would have these open wounds and sores. It was incredibly painful. 
You can imagine there's a, a great smell associated with not being able to take a bath and having open sores on your body. And since a person was in this condition, eventually they would start to um, lose nerve endings. Appendages would soon start to fall off. According to uh, the law of Moses in Leviticus 13 through 14, if someone was believed themselves to have leprosy, they're supposed to go and see a priest who would examine them. They would send them out for seven days, kind of like in an ancient quarantine. If they came back after seven days, they would either be ruled clean or leprous. And if they were ruled leprous, they were no longer welcome in their town. They were no longer welcome in their home because they would bring ritualistically uncleanliness to their families. Their families could contract this disease. And so imagine the emotional trauma of being shoved out of your community, shoved out of your home. You're being rejected physically. You're being rejected familially. And the message also you're receiving is you're not welcome in God's temple because you're unclean. You're being rejected spiritually. That's this man's existence. He is the very definition of an outcast. He's the very definition of a man who is suffering physically and emotionally and spiritually and socially. And so this man, this broken man, encounters Jesus of Nazareth. And apparently Jesus' reputation precedes him because this man believes that Jesus can make him clean. This is a, a moment of humility. It's a moment of helplessness and brokenness. I don't know about you, but I've never had a moment in my life where I've had to beg someone to act and to move and to bring change. And that's this man. You can imagine him with, with his tattered clothes, catching glimpses of his, of his decaying flesh, the overwhelming stench that must have been coming from him. And there he is standing before Jesus, pleading Jesus. This man needs Jesus. Uh, NBC released a, a list of movies that came out 20 to 25 years ago. And nothing makes you feel older than realizing some of your favorite movies that you thought just came out a few years ago. No, they actually came out 20 to 25 years ago. Um, in December, uh, it made 27 years since the movie Edward Scissorhands was released. Y'all remember this movie? Um, I, I feel It's crazy because I feel like that movie just came out. Uh, Tim Burton gives us the story of an artificial man whose creator endows him with scissors for hands. And his name is Edward. But unfortunately, his creator dies and is not able to finish his work. And so Edward remains in this decrepit mansion alone. Until, in a typical Tim Burton style, an Avon woman comes to the door and tries to sell him products. And she takes him back to her home with her family and the suburbs. And at first, like most people in the suburbs, you would expect, keep him at arm's distance. Until they realize that Edward can bring benefit into their life. But through a series of unfortunate events that it causes his neighborhood, the suburbs, to completely reject him. They treat him like a monster. They send him back to the mansion as an outcast. But the end, what the film really teaches us, is that though Edward is abnormal and disfigured, the suburbanites are really those who are broken and twisted. They're shallow and prejudiced people against those that don't look like them. You see, as society, we would look at the leper and we would say, this man is broken. But how easy is it for us to forget that people need Jesus? 
There are so many things about this world that cry out a need for Jesus. War and hunger, poverty, political corruption, and hunger for power. But then as we dig deeper, we discover racism and sexism and misogyny and economic injustice and xenophobia and bigotry and religious corruption and environmental devastation and lying and cheating. As we dig deeper, we recognize and discover that economic and cultural and social and political and spiritual brokenness and darkness is real in this world. People need Jesus, just like this man. Do we realize that we need Jesus? I need Jesus. And I love you enough to say that that you need Jesus. It's easy for us to see the flaws and brokenness in other people and governments and systems and other faiths, but can we see our need for Jesus too? Can we just imagine ourselves in the tattered clothes like this man before Jesus, crying out for him to move, to act, to make a difference? Do you see your need and my need to be made clean? Verse 13 says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I think we've pretty well established that this guy was pretty gross. He was grody. He was disgusting. He smelled bad. He he looked horrible. I mean, rotting wounds and flesh don't exactly say spring flowers, okay? And Luke tells us he was full of leprosy. Meaning this wasn't just like a spot here and there. He was full of it. He was covered in it. But his appearance didn't bring something out of Jesus that society would typically respond. In fact, what we really need to understand here is that Jesus did something so unique, so profound. Did you catch it? Jesus simply could have spoke healing into this man as he had cast out demons with words, as he spoke sight back into the blind. But instead, Jesus reaches out and touches this man. He touches a man with a highly contagious disease. Did you know that by reaching out and touching this man, Jesus just became a criminal? It was against societal laws to touch the leprous, to be around the leprous. Jesus just became a social criminal. Jesus also just became a religious criminal. Because the law of Moses said, you don't touch lepers, you don't go around lepers, or you will be considered ritualistically unclean, unfit to come into the synagogue, to come into the temple. Jesus just became a criminal. But it tells us something profound about Jesus. That there is no limitation of society. There is no limitation of religion that you can put on Jesus because Jesus is willing to overcome any boundaries for the sake of God's creation. Jesus isn't concerned with religion. He's not concerned with societal norms. This man is simply loved by Jesus and that's all Jesus needed this man to know in this moment. And this is the first thing I want us to really understand about this text. God's compassion has no limit. Society, religion, and family placed all sorts of limitations on this man. But for Jesus, there was nothing that was going to keep him back from touching this man. Sounds so familiar, doesn't it? 
our society and our religions puts limits on people. We look at people and say, I don't understand you. You don't look like me. You don't believe like me. You're not the same as me. So you either get on board with it or I don't want anything to do with you. But praise God that God is so different than us. That God is willing to step beyond any type of means that we have created to show radical compassion. The compassion of God is active and it desires that all people feel welcome. God's radical hospitality accepts all. It connects deep. It accepts the brokenness and foreignness and outcast nature of who we are as human beings and draws us closest to God. And with God, there is no race, there is no nationality, there is no faith practice, there is no sin, there is no marital status, there is no social faux pas, there is no tally of mistakes, there is no economic status, there is no gender identity or sexual orientation, there is no physical or mental ability, there is no political stance, there is no theological perspective, there is no stations of life when it comes to God and God's love for us. And we see this again and again in the ministry of Jesus. If you were a leper, like this man, if you were the so-called loose women in the town, if you were filled with demons, if you were suffering from blindness, if you were a beggar on the streets, if you were the highbrow of society, if you were a lowly fisherman, if you were a self-righteous religious nutcase, if you were a Roman soldier, if you were the enemy of Israel, if you were a revolting Gentile, Jesus gave you a place at his table. Jesus was badgered and berated by the so-called religious experts for the way that he persistently hung out with the sinners of his day. You don't get the tag lover of sinners by simply walking past them and saying a few words. No, that means that Jesus immersed himself into the life of other people that society and religion had said were wrong and awful and sinful and hell-bound. Jesus introduced us to something new about God. It's that God is inclusive, that God has this radiant and incredible love. There was no limitation. There is no limitation to God's love seen in Jesus. At my previous ministry setting, we, um, we took some international mission trips every year to Ecuador. And it was a beautiful partnership um, that we saw around 100 people over several years step out of their comfort zone and into the real-life poverty of the Andes Mountains. And I witnessed the most beautiful relationship sparked between wealthy Americans and impoverished Ecuadorians. I saw prim and proper women um, holding children who were covered with volcanic ash and just dry, ashy skin. I witnessed men who were high up in their companies humble themselves and accept that maybe these Ecuadorians can teach me how to actually put a water filtration system together. I saw people immerse themselves into a people group with no hint of resistance. But occasionally for some in those groups, after those seven days were done, we'd come home and I would see something different. I heard them talk about that Latino people weren't welcome in that church. I witnessed some support political candidates that directly rejected the immigrant and refugee. I heard them look down upon those that weren't in the same social standards as those. And so there was this disconnect between the missiology in Ecuador and the missiology at home. 
was a compassion that was limited to the confines of in or out of the United States. And that's what I want us to consider as we think about our love for other people. How do we measure that? Is it limited? Because as we look at Jesus, we see that there is no limit. There is no means by which that God can be limited and how God expressed his love. And so too, as Jesus invites us to follow him, as Jesus calls us to love other people in the way we love ourselves, are we willing to say that there is no race or nationality? is no faith practice, sin, marital status, social faux pas. There is no tally marks of mistakes. There is no economic status. There is no gender identity. There is no sexual orientation, physical or mental ability, political stance, theological perspective, or stations of life. There is no limitation for us and how we will love other people. Can we say yes to that question? if we can say yes, if we can move beyond any type of conditional compassion that wells up within our American evangelical culture, how do we begin to meet people as Jesus met people? You see, I think to look at that, we have to come back to Jesus. Where was Jesus in all of this? He was where people were. He was right there in the thick of this man's town. Jesus was at the carnal level in the stench of this man. I just can't even imagine. But then Jesus persistently did this. He broke bread with the so-called sinners in their homes. He, he welcomed the tax collectors among them. He went to where the outcasts were. He went to the impoverished towns. He went to the community of lepers. He went to where there was a woman at a well by herself in the middle of the day because she was socially rejected. Jesus went where people were. That's exactly where he made his home. Jesus was radically present in people's lives. He listened to their stories. He lifted their burdens and healed their brokenness. Jesus defines what it means to be missional. We use that word a lot, missional. And we see that in the example of Jesus. This is not from a pulpit or from a sanctuary, but from day-to-day living sitting around the table with others, going where people are. Missional is meeting the needs around us as Jesus called us to through loving our neighbor. It's not an activity or a project that we pick up and put down as we feel led. Missional is a day-to-day living. It's being empowered by the Holy Spirit to go where God calls us to go, to seek out those God calls us to seek out, to listen to those stories to the people around us, and to meet the needs on all different levels. And it requires that we be willing to follow in the example of Jesus. Being the presence of Jesus each day means that we venture out into our daily routines and intentionally put ourselves in places where we can be used for compassion and healing and transformation. Jesus was missional. Are are we missional? For a long time, uh, we could identify the church and culture as what we call the church of the valley. I've got a thing up here I want you to see. This is the church for many of us that, that we grew up in. 
church in the valley was where we were brought in the womb, and then when we were birthed into our existence, we were probably dedicated to the church. We were raised in the church, and most of us might have received some form of education in the church. The church was where we maybe met that special someone and then married them that day. Later, we brought our own children to the church. If we were blessed to have children, we found community in the church. We came to the church daily, oftentimes. The church is the center of town. It was the center of our lives. It was the center of the final rites of our life when we were finally laid to rest. And outside of our personal experience with the church, the church was often the center of town. The church was the place of a diverse membership base that spoke the life into commerce and politics and society and health. But the world has shifted. The church is no longer the church of the valley, the heart of everything. The church is more the church on the side of the hill. And people still come by the church. It's just in a different way. Come by our church as we go on to live our lives. We pass by the church as we go about life and work and education and commerce. And for far too long, the church universal has got caught up with institutionalization. We've gotten so angry and so upset because we built these programs, we built these buildings, all because people were supposed to center their lives around the institution. And the Church of the Valley for far too long has gotten upset calling society uh, too much of heathens that they should just change their lives and put the church back at the center of everything. And the church can continue to respond that way. Or the church can fling open its doors and go down the hill and live and be the church in the community of the valley. You see, to be missional is not to expect people to come to us and our institutional programs and events or worship. To be missional means that we embark on a mission of love where we go into our communities, where we be the radical presence of Jesus through hospitality, through service, through hope, through compassion. Do you believe that you are empowered to give people life, to bring transformation, to show transcendent love to those around you? The core identity of God is love. John says God is love. In other words, if you want to define God, this is the only line in the Bible that defines God. It says God is love. Therefore, we are called to love. And that means that we have to be intentional. If we want to be a community identified as missional and ministry, that means that we have to be intentional about the way that we encounter people. It means that we have to go into the communities. But that also means we have to be present in our day-to-day lives. The great Henry Nouwen puts it best this way. More and more the desire grows in me not to simply walk, walk around and greet people and enter their homes and sit on their doorsteps and play ball and throw water and be known as someone who wants to live with them. It's a privilege to have time to practice the simple ministry of presence. Still, it is not quite as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful, to do something significant, or to be a part of some impressive project is so strong that my time is soon taken up with meetings and conferences and study groups and workshops that prevent me from actually walking the streets. 
It's difficult not to have a plan, not to organize people around an urgent cause, not to feel that you are working towards some direct social progress. But I wonder more and more if the first thing should be not to know people by name, to eat and to drink with them, to listen to their stories and to tell our own, and to let people know with words and handshakes and hugs that you don't simply just like them, but you truly love them. How can God use you each day? Oftentimes we think we've got to create something separate in order to bring people to Jesus. You are the presence of Jesus each day. So how can you be intentional each day at work, at school, at gymnastics and band and at football practice and soccer practice, at dance? You'll never see me there, but how can you be there? How can you be intentional about the way that you go about shopping for groceries, about the relationships you, with the people you work out with and exercise with, the, the people you see at the park, the people that you speak to online? That's what Jesus is inviting us into, to be intentional about how we live our lives each day. But then also being intentional about willing to create space and time to bring the presence of Jesus to people. We see this in the missional identity of the early church. Luke writes, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, a prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And what? And the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. How about you, but the text didn't say anything about bait and switch ministry, cheap evangelism, creating all these huge programs. What I see is that people lived life well together. They were the presence of Jesus together. And what happened? The Lord added to their number daily those being saved. So consider what would it do for us as a community, if each of us chose to enhance the missional footprint of this church community, what needs could be met? What people group can we connect with? How can we best love our neighbor, not just by ourselves, but together as a church community? That means we have to consider where the people are in Clayton. Be intentional about meeting people where they are, not expecting people to come to us. Ministry was at the forefront of the five dreams that came out of our emerging vision process. Between Fifth Sunday missional projects, the mission trips, building raised garden beds, affinity groups, JOCO mission trips, the partnership with the Wyatts and Raleigh, ministry is at the forefront of what we do. Is it our hope? Is it our dreams? How can we fulfill that? And so we have to ask that question I asked at the beginning. Will we simply become consumed with dreaming? Or can we be great people of faith that step out to live the dream that God is calling us to? As Brian McLaren wrote, Christian faith for me is no longer a static location, but a great spiritual journey. And that changes everything. We be a church community that settles into comfortability of the now? Or are we willing to step out in a great expedition of faith to discover what God has in store for us as a missional community?